You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Thanks for downloading and listening to this episode of Tech Fan number 317. I am Tim Robertson. I'm David Cohen. So it's been, uh, as we record this, David, it's towards the end of September. Mm-hmm. And it has been probably, no, probably about it. It's been the hottest it's been all summer. And of course, technically we're in fall now. So that's, you know, great. Indian summer. It's, uh, it's, we're getting up to 93 degrees today wow. and a pretty, uh, pretty high humidity levels. So that's what it's been like here in, uh, in West Michigan anyways, for uh, almost a week now. Looks like it's finally going to break and get back to normal 60s and 40s at night come Wednesday. That's my kind of weather, to be honest with you. I like it when it's a little chilly out. You can wear a jacket, but you don't have to wear a jacket. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's my kind of weather. But, yeah, it, it's it's pretty miserable here. And, uh, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been actively avoiding doing anything outside other than, you know, work. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, when it gets really hot like that. That's probably the best thing to do is try and stay near an air conditioner. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I can't have the air conditioning running while we're doing the podcast. Uh, hence, we're doing a little bit early—not a whole lot early, but a couple hours earlier than normal. And we're recording on a Sunday rather than a Friday because you were traveling on uh, Friday. Yeah, I had to do a uh, one of these <clears throat> corporate team away days. So actually, when we would normally be recording, I was clinging to climbing walls and holding on to cables and um trying to trying to stack crates as high as we could and all of that kind of stuff that sounds like a lot of fun <clears throat> well you know it kind of the the problem with it is the, the things itself are all fun we, we had a day away to do it we had a dinner the night before and everything but in terms of actually working it kind of messes your entire week up because you're planning for traveling to that and then doing it and of course you know other people you have to rearrange everything else around you so it's it's like a swings and roundabouts really yeah so um well i think it was last week i was talking some about installing a backup camera in my sequoia yeah or was that two weeks ago uh yeah maybe it was two weeks ago because we mostly talked about apple last week yeah i kind of messed it up um I got it installed. Everything was good, except it didn't work. So I guess maybe nothing was good. Uh, I realized I had hooked up the negative incorrectly. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that was a problem. But regardless, I got the camera installed. I ran the wire. Everything was good. Now, Sequoia is a very long vehicle. So I had to actually uh, get a longer cable to reach where the camera is all the way up to the deck in the car. So for those who have a newer car, you probably have a backup camera. And as you know, you put the car in reverse, the screen in front of you changes view to show you what the backup camera is seeing. So you can back up without running things over. Always a good thing. It's even more, not necessarily necessary, but really nice when you have a big vehicle like I do. So I bought an aftermarket relatively cheap backup camera Mm -hmm. and you literally put it above the license plate. You use the license plate screws to hold it in place and it's adjustable. You can move it up and down and it has LEDs. So at night you can actually see behind you as well. All that sounds good and wiring it 
is a relatively simple process. So you would think that I don't know. I, I should be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a couple step process. I thought I'd go through it. I thought some people. Uh, I, I got an email from someone asking about the backup camera that I briefly mentioned. It's basically has two connections. One is an RCA plug component video that runs from the camera all the way to the deck, which for obvious reasons, that's the video signal. The other, uh, is a two wire system that you run from the camera to a 12 volt cable that only gets power when you put the car in reverse for obvious reasons. So I ran it to the backup light bulb, that wire. And then I also put the ground on the wire that was going to the backup that should have been the ground, but I don't think it was. Or if it was, it didn't work. Right. So what I was doing was putting it in reverse and nothing was happening on my screen. That's not fun. Yeah, and I suppose that in terms of troubleshooting that, you then start thinking, well, is it the camera that doesn't work or is it something to do with my screen? Yeah, and the problem is if you've never seen the camera working, where yeah. do you start your troubleshooting? Do I have a defective camera and am I trying to fix something that's unfixable? Well, a couple of days ago I was messing with it and I, I pushed a button that I could never find again and I actually <laughs> saw the sky because I had the back of the truck hatch open so the camera was literally pointing at the sky. But for a brief second I saw the sky. So I thought, okay, it's getting power. And it's sending the video signal. Yeah. So how does the cam- how does the uh, the stereo know to switch to that view to switch yeah. to that input when you put it in reverse? Well, I know that the cable, the color coded cable on the bulb, that when you put it in reverse, blah blah blah. I found the same cable in the dash. So I right. cut. There's an interrupt cable in the mm-hmm. deck and when it gets power it automatically switches to the backup camera i had wired that up but i think that that is incorrect now right. i did find yesterday david i did find the button <laughs> <laughs> that allowed me to see the backup camera and it's the power button believe it or not if you hold down the power button you turn the system off if you just push it one time really quickly I get a menu and one of the menu items looks like a camera. When I push it, my backup camera is going. Well, that's intuitive. But only if I put it in reverse because only when it's in reverse is the camera powered. Right. So the only fix I can see is running another cable from the deck and tie it directly into the same line that is powering the cable. That should take care of the problem. Is, are you sure there's not just a software setting in the deck that nope. you need to... I went through the whole thing. Yeah. It literally has to... There, There is a dedicated wire that's coming out for uh, the backup interrupt. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it's for. When it gets power, it switches views. And when the power is cut off, it goes back to the last view. So if I'm sitting there listening to you know, Apple CarPlay and I put it in reverse it will switch to that view. Yeah. And then when I put it in neutral or drive or park, it goes back to what I was just listening to. Now it doesn't stop the music or anything like that. It just changes what you see on your screen. Now this is all 
if you've got a new car, it does it every time. You don't even think yeah. about it. But if you're adding it to a vehicle that ne- never had it, there's considerations to take in. <laughs> and I thought I was being clever the way I had it the first time. And it, there's no dangling wires. It just, that should work. But for whatever reason, it's not. And it's got to be the interrupt wire. I'm amazed that they think this is a sort of system that a normal person can install. Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> Wait, are you calling me not normal? Am I coming out normal? No, did you not call me normal? I am saying I, you're not normal. I, I am. I'm abnormal. That's what. That's what you're saying. I think that goes without saying, really. <laughs> <laughs> And you remember the whole thing when I started the show was it's so freaking hot outside. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do this when it's so hot outside, (laughs) but I really want to get it done. Although I am starting to become an expert of taking all the trim pieces off the rear hatch on a Sequoia. I could do that in about three minutes. Are you never tempted when you're halfway through this to say, you know what, I'm going to put what I've got back in the car and I'm going to go to drive somebody who does this for a living and see if they can fix it for me. Yeah, that would cost me money, though. Yeah. And, you know, an oil change. I'm not, I'm not doing my own oil changes. I'm going to take up. I'll, I'll pay someone 25, 30 bucks to do that. But something like this, I like it. I, I always have. I mean, the first thing that I ever really got into, other than, say, comic books or something, uh, or video games, was working on my car. I liked working on my car back in the day. I was really into cars, um, especially working on it myself. I didn't want to just take it somewhere and have someone fix it. I wanted to figure out why it was broken, what I can do to fix it, and then actually do the work. I'm not so much into that now, but this isn't, this is different. You know what I mean? This is the skill set that to install this is in my opinion, probably more akin to rebuilding an arcade cabinet than it is working on a car. You know, you're dealing with a lot of wires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's been other than work. That's been what I've been up to lately is trying to troubleshoot and figure out why it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Well, I think we all learned something here and, um, some of us will learn how to do it. And some of us will learn not to do it. Yeah, to let someone else do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. But and you can you can choose on that depending on your own personal skill sets. It's fun though. I like it. I think it's um there's I, other than the troubleshooting and and the engineering behind it itself, there's probably no practical life skills to be learned other than the troubleshooting, but I've been doing that for many many years anyways. I mean, that's kind of why my Mac exists. That's why TechFan exists. That's how you know, this little tiny thing that I created way back in 95 even got started because I would break something on my Mac and then I'm spending the next four hours trying to figure out a, how I broke it and and B how to fix it. And it's aggravating, but I did learn uh, to develop skills that I didn't even know I had back then when I started. And it, and it was best, those... Sometimes that's the best way to learn is to kind of learn when you're trying to fix something and, um, you know, pick those skills up as you learn to do it. I agree. 
you know, it, and I actually like the troubleshooting aspects of it. I, I relayed the story from not even a year ago where hackers took over an email account from a client of mine and the workaround to hack the hackers. That was just simply troubleshooting. You know, whether it's social engineering troubleshooting or a technical, hey, I, I need to fix this problem, this electrical problem, this engine, this, you know, some things you can't anymore, like a television. You can't, everything is so small, you don't have the equipment to really fix that yourself. Well, let's face it, apart from the electrics in a car, unless you have access to a fully equipped garage and you really know what you're doing, you can't fix cars anymore. Not really. I mean, half of them are electronic problems, like you said, and yeah. you, you have to have specialized equipment just to diagnose the problem. Yeah. But the internet is really is fantastic for this type of thing, David. Um, it's, a, yeah, it's a good source of information and a good source of yeah, being able to contact people who might have encountered a similar problem before. Well, I've noticed that when people have problems, they generally will share the, the solution to those problems with others. And I think it's kind of inbred in people to say, Hey, I, I solved this problem. I want to put that, the, how to do this out there. So anybody else can just simply follow along and they can fix their own as well. I think that's kind of human nature. Don't you? It is though. Sometimes it's, I, I find when I'm searching for a problem on Google, that um, you get those frustrating posts where somebody talks in detail about the problem they have and then several people make contributions and then they the final post is, oh, well, I fixed it, so it's all working now. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, so you didn't tell me what you did. Yeah, but what you do? What, how did you fix it, dude? Because I'm having the same problem and, yeah. you know, I've, I'm eight hours and elbow deep into this issue and an answer would be really cool. I rarely find exactly, I don't know if I just have unique problems or what, but I rarely find exactly the answer that I'm looking for. I usually find, like you just said, a, a post and there was some suggestions and I will take those suggestions and go, well, I can toss that one out because I thought of that and it wasn't this, but I didn't think of this. I don't think it's that, but that might be related to this other thing that I was thinking about. And then you come up with the solution. Um, I like that troubleshooting aspect though. I always have, I think you like it as well. I, I certainly do. I mean, that's the, that's the fun part of, of playing around with tech and gadgets is trying to, is either solving problems like that, or alternatively it's taking technology and applying it in ways it wasn't necessarily intended or yes. thought of. Those are those are both fun fun it, things to do. It, it's hard to for those who don't just wants to throw money at a problem and just make it go away. That's well, okay, the, the, but you know the alternative is I find as you get older you become less inclined to fiddle. You're kind of if you can't fix it in the first ten minutes you just think oh, I'm not interested in now. Ex yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. That's why I admire your persistence in in getting to the bottom of the problem. I think the uh, camera itself is pretty crappy. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask you about that because every time I've had a reversing camera on a car, it's been factory fit. And most of those systems, it's not just the camera because the camera 
by design has to have quite a wide angle lens so it's it's not an intuitive thing to look at the the screen so to actually judge distances and everything like that most of the systems i have have kind of uh, gradation marks or electronic lines that are painted on the display this does to too. help yeah to help you help you judge whether you're going to hit something or not i presume yours doesn't have that no it does it does uh, right. the, the stereo itself <clears throat> overlays those um those markings so i have well, the red yeah. which is supposedly the bumper and then the width of the vehicle now there's a setting in there to adjust it Ah, right. That because, was what I was going to ask, because presumably most cameras have different lenses, and you need to calibrate well, it's, that. It's not just it right. the different lenses. It's the positioning of the camera. So how does it know where your vehicle ends or how wide it is, uh, or even what vehicle you're driving? It has no idea, because quite honestly, a Honda Civic is going to be a whole lot um, less wide <laughs> yeah. than my Sequoia. Uh, and the bumper is going to be in a different spot, and... So you can actually adjust it. Now, I haven't been able to adjust mine because when I go to that settings, whether I'm in park or not, uh, the radio says unable to uh, adjust guidelines while the vehicle is being driven. And I think it says that because that's the default. If it knows for a fact that it, the camera's not hooked up correctly, it's not going to let you adjust anything. Or, or maybe you have to put the um, you have to not turn the engine on, but actually put the car in accessory mode so that you can. But the vehicle, but the radio itself, being an aftermarket radio, doesn't know that the engine itself isn't running. That I'm just getting accessory power. Because when you put in accessory power, it's just running then uh, 12 volts up to the head unit, and then okay, it's got power. But how does it know if the vehicle is running without actually tying into? Uh, the vehicle itself, the does electronics. It, does it not have a line that, that tells it whether the car is running or not? Because presumably for GPS and, and the mapping and stuff, all the things that it tries to stop you do when the car is driving, it must know when the car is moving. Yes, but you're again, you're equating that to a factory head unit where this is not a factory head unit, nor does it have GPS. Right. Uh, it, it uses the Apple Play for GPS. Uh, right, okay. So it hasn't got its own sat now. Right, so it's either on or off. Now, there are some system settings in there that I could add functionality. Like, I could have it read my oil pressure and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I just never did that because it's much more complex to tie into those systems in a vehicle, providing that the vehicle actually supports that anyways. Um, but I didn't do that. What I'm hoping is, number one, just to have the, the camera view is great. Um, I don't necessarily need the guidelines. I can see on the camera what I need to see. Uh, but beyond that, I'm hoping that once it's wired correctly, so it knows to go to that view, it will allow me to change the settings. If not, because I, I can't do anything. I go to that, the guideline settings and it just says, you know, if the vehicle is, is being driven, you can't adjust it. Well, I suppose you can always get Sharpie and draw on the screen. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, it's it's a weird thing because it knows that you have to be in reverse for that camera to power on, right? Mm -hmm. So if the if you're if you can't drive the vehicle to make the adjustments, how do you see that view without putting it in reverse? You understand what I mean? 
So when you said you pressed the button, you got a view from the camera. No, it's not, it has not showed me the camera because the camera is not, not wired correctly. You, no, you said you saw the sky through the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a totally different thing, though. I have to go to that input yeah. while the car so, is in reverse to see the camera. Uh, right, right. So when you, when you saw the sky, you were actually had the thing in reverse. Yes. And the engine running. Yep. And the handbrake on, hopefully. Yeah, it's an automatic. No, it's in reverse. It's going to create reverse, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I got my foot on the brake. It's not going anywhere. All oh, right, okay. I'm not the brightest, but I'm not the stupidest either, David. <laughs> but Hey, honey, I'm home. <laughs> it's, the, it's the kitchen. So it's, it's... I can see you on the camera. Yeah. There you are. Oh, move. <laughs> Might want to move. This is a suggestion. So that's what I've been doing, thinking about... I'm thinking about it a lot more than I'm physically doing it because... It's so hot outside, you know. Nothing's worse than laying on your back underneath the, your dashboard and it's 93 degrees with 90% humidity. Ugh, that's brutal. Even in the shade. I, I, I hate any of that kind of fiddly stuff. Where The thing where you're kind of doing things and, and you can't really see what you're doing and you haven't got enough room to move around and you can't, if you sit up, you're going to bang your head and yes. your arms are aching because they're stretched out. Yeah, always fun. So we got feedback from Donnie, Donnie Ankelo, um, the tech fan sticker extraordinaire creator. And his last message was 50 to 100 per day this week. So our, <clears throat> what would you call it? Our campaign to get our sticker pack for iOS as popular as possible and encourage all of our listeners to to download and uh, install it. I don't care if you use it. Just download it. Uh, it's free. Is uh, pretty successful. 50 to 100 a day. Now, if you actually, under um, iOS 11, the all the stickers and everything you have in your messages are much more accessible than they were before. Exactly. So that may also um, encourage adoption for people who well, are interested It's in a that. new thing. People bring it up and then start playing with it and finding out what's available. So... Yeah, it's it's a cool thing. So thanks very yeah. much to Donnie for the update and, of course, for creating the sticker pack because it wouldn't exist at all without Donnie. And it is very cool, actually. It, it is. It's really yeah. cool. Uh, Guy Searle actually sent me a uh, text image with our sticker on it. Oh, yeah. So Guy Searle, of course, from the MyMac podcast. So it looks like David iPhone 8 sales aren't quite up to where iPhone 7 sales when it was released. And, of course, most people are attributing that to demand for the iPhone 10. People aren't well, buying this because they want to buy the other one. What's the what's the metric for that, though? Because Apple won't have released sales figures. So how, how do people know that iPhone 8 is not selling as fast as iPhone 7? Because... Apple isn't the only company that sells the iPhone 8. Right. Because you can get it, you can order it at AT&T and Best Buy and Verizon and Target and all these different stores that you could literally sign up for a new contract and and they're not seeing a huge influx of customers that they saw or that they usually see when a new iPhone is released. Right. And the only real difference because the iPhone 8 is a much better phone spec-wise than a 7. It really is. 
It's got yeah. a better camera. It's got better internals. It's got a brand new processor. Uh, it, it's a better phone. Uh, I hear. I, I don't have one, so. But there isn't. There doesn't seem to be the demand for it, and people coming in to get it, or waiting in line to pick it up, as they're used to seeing with an, an, a new iPhone release. And the only difference between now and then, of course, is the iPhone 10. And even informal polls that you're finding on places like nine to five Mac, more people are saying they're waiting for the iPhone 10 than are willing to pick up the iPhone eight. Fair enough. So what do you think about this? Do you think this is getting to the point of either saturation or do you think more truly more people want the 10 than the eight, even though the, even the average consumer probably knows that you're not going to get a 10 on launch day. It, you, it could take you weeks to months to get one. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think the fact that 10 is further out, I'm sure Apple would have preferred to have it for sale on the same day, but the fact that it's further out is going to elongate the sales cycle for the iPhone, this whole generation of iPhones. When is the um, 10 supposed to come out? November? Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it, pre-orders begin the last week of october and then it comes out the week after but the reality is that's a low volume phone you're not going to be able to get it the way you can get the one of the reasons that um one of the reasons the reason i asked the question about the sales is because if people are looking at kind of pre-orders and and kind of lead times for iphones um the seven and the eight are so similar in terms of large chunks of them that it wouldn't surprise me if supply build and delivery times for the iphone 8 are are much quicker than they were for the 7 so i wouldn't expect them to be selling out as quickly i think they they would probably sell them as quickly as they can make them um if people are are not seeing are seeing a lack of demand from actual sales which uh, obviously apple aren't sharing then that that's fair enough that's a different metric but i i think apple doesn't really care whether they sell you an 8 or a 10 Uh, an iphone sale is an iphone sale and if people are holding off for the 10 and then when the 10 comes out they're going to look at it and then decide whether they want it when they want to spend the extra money and then they might buy an eight anyway yep um, um so i don't think apple really minds the point is they have more products in the channel now than they or they will have than they had before so that's more sales opportunities um so overall i think you know provided their overall unit numbers of sales goes up they'll be happy i think the scarcity we presume of the iPhone 10 after its release will actually spur iPhone eight sales. People go into their carrier or best buy or wherever saying, Hey, I want to get that new iPhone 10. And the guy behind the counter is like, dude, you got to wait like two months to get one at this point, man. You're not getting one. Uh, if you want to wait two months, I can put you on the list. People are like, ah, I don't do that. So what, what else is there? Well, the eight was released. Yeah, I'll just get the eight because I need to replace the six that I've been holding on to for a couple of years now. Well, the other thing is I've had some conversations. We talked we talked last week about you know the iPhone ten is the eight plus size screen in an eight case in an eight size case. Apparently, it's not quite like that. It's longer, so it's higher, taller if you if you want, but it's still the same width. Um, and I've heard some people from the launch event said that if you are a real if you're a plus screen fan then you may not be thrilled with the 10 because it's not really the same um so i think when people are able to make that comparison hand in hand they may decide to go for the 8 plus anyway yeah people who are after a larger phone 
there are going to be some people who are going to look at the 10 and go, you know what, it's nice and all, but I don't think it's worth the extra money. Um, so I think there will be a fair amount of people putting off their buying decisions until, you know, until they, uh, until, until they, they can actually size the 10 up themselves. I know certainly within our company, we had a plan. We're going to offer upgrade. Most of our um, users are on two year old successes. So we're going to offer a upgrade to anybody who wants one. Um, but we're not scrambling to do that because we were anticipating uh, low availability of all the phones in the in the first couple of weeks after launch. Now, it, so it may well be there's a whole lot of people who say, you know what, I do want to upgrade, but I don't want to be in the mad scramble at the start. And once they hear that the mad scramble is not there for the eights, they may go out and buy them. So I, I, th- I think the whole thing is going to just going to be spread out a little bit more rather than being necessarily the mad rush right at the beginning. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing for Apple, really. No, I don't either. And it, honestly, unless you're dead set on getting an iPhone 10, I think having multiple choices with essentially the same hardware, <clears throat> minus a couple of things, um, I think that's a good thing. I'm still yeah. leaning towards an 8 Plus rather than a 10. But I'm not buying anything right now. I'm on a six plus, so yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I can upgrade anytime I want. So, so I'm currently on a regular seven, which is my own phone. I'm going to take back, go back into having a company phone, um, and I'm going to go from the seventy-eight plus because I want to get the larger phone. Uh, and this this seven is, which I'm still paying for because I'm on the the Apple. Um, what do they call? It's the spread the cost program. Oh, yeah, you know, the, the trade up program. Uh, trade up program, yeah. So I'm still paying for this. So this is going to go down the family, and uh, I'll take the eight plus from work, um, and I'll probably look to start getting getting that sorted out over the next couple of weeks, I suppose. Well, I look but forward I, to you I, getting one because I'd, I'd like to hear your first hand accounts of an eight plus because that's yeah. the one I'm looking at as well. Yeah. I'm thinking space it, age. Honestly, I'm still thinking sixty four rather than two fifty six. Oh, we 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 have to get the sixty fours because the company won't spring for the two fifty six. Sure. I, I mean, my my seven is one twenty eight, um, and I'm just looking at what it's gone at the moment. I don't think it's only about half full. And I bet so a good at least a quarter of the stuff that's on there you could delete and not miss. Yeah. Um. And in fact, I have got a feeling iOS eleven actually lets you. Yeah, I I remember seeing the setting somewhere. iOS eleven lets you do this thing where you can take the app off the phone but the icon doesn't disappear so it's kind of like in a in a you know in a, in a background state which, right which i appreciate because sometimes you want to clear off something big you know like a big game or something like that off your phone to give yourself some space but you don't want to forget that you bought it <laughs> because exactly what happens is uh, frequently in in ios land is that after a year or two these games stop working anymore uh, and it's really kind of annoying if you've never really played it because you forgot you had it uh, and then it stops working, so you can never play it again. Especially so, if it's um, a, uh, a a premium app. Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, they have a they have a thing like offload unused apps. Apparently, if I were to enable that, it would save me four point six gigabytes on my that, phone. That's not insignificant. Yeah. Um, your documents and data will be saved. Um, so yeah, I'm, I I have um, sixty four point nine gig of one twenty eight gig use on my phone at the moment. So I could live in a 64 gig phone, fine. Particularly as it'd be interesting. What I am interested to see with the with the eight plus though is because I tend not to play a lot of games on my phone anymore, as the eyes have gotten older. Um, 
so I tend to play them on my iPad, which means I don't tend to load games as often onto my iPhone. So uh, be interesting to see whether I, with a, a plus, I, I do that more because the screen is big enough. So we do want to thank our sponsor. It's MacSales.com, uh, Other World Computing. Hey, listen, if you guys have an older MacBook Air and you still have the stock SSD in it, did you know you can actually make that machine a little bit faster? OWC sells SSDs. They're flash storage. So it, it doesn't look like a hard drive. It actually kind of looks like a, a, a stick of memory. All the way up to, it looks like, uh, the 2013 and current MacBook Air. Um, this is a good upgrade, David. You know, yeah. some of the first generation ones had, well, there was a 64 gig and a 128. Both are just paltry. So if you got, let's say, um, uh, the 2008 through nine MacBook Air 13 inch, you can go all the way up to uh, 480 gigabytes. And if this is your work machine, that's probably more than you need. You know, if you're just kind of road warrioring it, doesn't have games and stuff like that on there. And quite frankly, David, the, the MacBook Air really isn't a gaming machine. It will do some basic stuff, some you know, some decent games. But <clears throat> I, in fact, I think you could play the new StarCraft remastered uh, that's come out on that machine. Although, well, that'd be an awful small screen for that game. Yeah, but yeah, if you want to upgrade your SSD in your MacBook Air, go to MacSales.com. You just simply go to SSD and then a drop-down menu will come. It'll say MacBook Air. And it'll show you all your upgrade opportunities for that machine. Uh, we did get some feedback last week, David. And, of course, we said the, the, the wiki trolling thing seems to be pretty popular. That's, we're getting a lot of feedback on our wiki trolling stuff. Yep. And uh, this one is from John Nemo. Do you have that in front of you? I do. Uh, he says, clicking frantically. So we're talking about the leading edge computer we talked about in the wiki trolling. Which you and I didn't know anything about. No, I don't. He said it was a nice computer. A friend had one. I used it all the time for word processing. <laughs> John, that must have been annoying. <laughs> yeah. Knock, knock, knock. Hi, it's John. Can I write, can I write a thesis on your computer? <laughs> I'll only be using it for like four hours yeah. for the next two weeks. Yeah. Recipes, letters, plus simple database and spreadsheet stuff. I presume that's what the friend used it for rather than John. I, that's kind of what I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kidding you, John. Uh, the, this computer was promoted very heavily and highly recommend the time as an affordable and quality machine for the home user, as you comment. It's funny that I remember it very well and you have no knowledge of it. I guess I was a techie before I knew it, notwithstanding our age differences. Ha. Huh. Great T-Fan content every week. Nemo. Thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I See, when I got into computers, though... I, it was Apple right from the very beginning for me. Yeah. Um, I actually did a little research, and research back then wasn't jumping online and getting at people's opinions. There was no internet. So everything I had read said that the Mac was much easier to use, and that kind of technology scared the crap out of me. I was a car guy. I was, a, you know, listening to heavy metal and yeah, computers are like, oh, these things are scary. But as I've related before, I bought one because I knew my newly born daughter was going to have to be co comfortable and proficient with computers. I saw that coming. 
And, uh, you know, I, I had no idea that I would get into it the way I did. So that's an interesting point. I don't think we've ever really talked about how we got into computers before. No. So the difference for me, the re- I knew nothing about Apple for a hell of a long time because in the UK, if you wanted to buy Apple computers, I mean, unlike the US where you had them in schools and stuff like that, we just did not have them here. Right. So if you wanted to get into Apple computers, you had to go to an Apple dealer. They were very few and far between and they were very much targeted at the business user. So you just you just didn't come across you kind of knew what they were you knew about the mac and that sort of thing you just did not come across those in ev- in everyday life unless you were in like in a university or something like that and i because i started with the home computers you know the home computing revolution that i've talked about you know before on the show with the sinclair and and stuff like that, and then the bbc micro which was my first kind of big computer interest so i even the, the pc i knew very little about because my my computing world was all based on the home platforms and the stuff that the magazines that i read and the people i spoke to and again as you say this was before the internet um were kind of all focused on home computing and i never saw a pc for a long long time um and i was never interested in them and i kind of knew laptops were a thing i'm never interested in either until i went to university and i had to start using one yeah and then you go and you start picking up the magazines well the computer magazines of the day you know pc world and computer shopper and everything they were all about the PCs. And so that's kind of what I gravitated into. And so I remember having a comment. It, if I if I could meet this guy today, he would be amazed about what I do now because I had a conversation with a guy at work. This must have been um, probably the late, very late 90s, probably around 2000, maybe 2001. Cause, and he was talking about he, he, just got, he was an Apple guy and he just bought an iMac. Um, and I knew about the iMac because then that was when Apple really started promoting them, you know, into the public consciousness. And there was the whole ad campaign about, you know, just, oh, you how do you get it on the internet? Just plug one cable in and you're done. And, um, this chat was talking about this, you know, and, and that was the first time I really became aware that apples were a thing that maybe I could be interested in. But even then, it was a few years after that before I started using them. Why did you buy your first Mac? Um, so. Yeah, 2000 was also when I got into eBay, mm. and um, I liked buying old computers, or something I still do today, like buying older computers off eBay. Um, and I, I read something somewhere, obviously the internet was, was up and coming then, you know, I read something somewhere about the, um, about the PowerBook 2400C, which was like the tiny little one that they mostly sold in Japan. Yep. Uh, and um, I saw one on eBay one day from America, and I bought it. <laughs> I got it. It was an OS9 computer. I really wish I still had it now because you cannot get them. They're like hen's teeth. All right. Um, and the problem was I'd never used a Mac before, and I, I just really didn't know or understand what I was doing around OS9. That machine had a few idiosyncrasies. It could lock up with a kind of a um, – a, they used to call it the green light of death where basically it, you couldn't turn it on and all it would do is flash a green light on the front in the, in the power switch at you. Uh, and it did that to me a couple of times. And I just, I just decided that I didn't have enough time to get to know it properly. And so I sold it on for a profit, I might add. Um, and then when the Mac Mini came out, I was, I was very interested in the Mac Mini. Um, and I actually bought a titanium power book off eBay from a, an old school sale in the States. Hmm. Uh, and when and when I got that machine, I just felt I fell in love with the OS X. 
um, I thought it was amazing. And uh, it was much easier to use than OS 9 um, and much more familiar to me than as a, as a, a you know, kind of a Windows 2000, right. Windows XP user than OS 9 had been. And I just fell in love. I fell in love with the hardware on the machine. I fell in love with the software. Um, and my wife saw it and she said, oh, what's that? And so I, sh- I showed it to her and everything like that. And she gave me a bit of grief because I bought it without consulting her. But anyway, that, that she, she really liked the interface. And then we were in the store a couple of months later and she saw a Mac Mini. And she'd always had my old PC cast-offs and she'd always hated them. You know, they the things stopped working on them and I'd have to pull them apart to fix them yeah. or they would crash. Every now and again, Windows needed rebuilding or everything. And when she saw the Mac Mini in, in a store and she said, you know, well, where's the... She looked under the desk, she said, where's the computer? I said, no, it's this little box here. That's, she said, what, that's all of it? I said, yeah. And she says, that does all of these things that I can do on my computer at home. I said, yeah. You know, well, she went and ordered one that day. <laughs> um, so that was our first Mac, was my wife's Mac Mini. Uh, our first, like, you know, proper home Mac, rather than just for messing around on. And uh, so, so that's where it came from. So some people may be wondering how you got involved with my Mac and then, of course, later here on TechFan. And that was because you were actually a listener of the MyMac podcast when I was doing it with was when you started listening to the MyMac, was it still Chad and I, or was that, uh, it was you and Chad. Yeah. Basically, in fact, what happened is, uh, I got into podcasting and I started listening to podcasts and I was looking around for things to listen to. And this was when I was, I got that power book and I was just, by the way, the titanium power book is still my favorite Apple laptop ever is I absolutely love them. I've got, I've got three of them sat to my desk right here now. <laughs> Um, but I started looking around for podcasts about Apple to try and familiarize myself. And I, I came across this one called the My Mac Guys. Mm-hmm. You remember them? Yeah. All too well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they suffered from pod fade. Yes. They, they kind of uh, weren't able to sustain their show. And um, so I started looking for other ones. And, and I came across yours because it had a very similar name. <laughs> so I started listening to yours, you and Chad. And that's that's how I found my Mac. Yeah, because my Mac guys. So that that then that had to have been in '05. Yeah, yeah. We actually did a. Uh, uh, I, I want to say it might have been OWC, but maybe not. We did a contest. This company sent us. We we, we want to do something different, and so this this company sent us. It might have been Griffin Technologies. I don't know. Um. Oh, what was it? An FM transmitter. Which were kind of expensive at the time, but were a good way to get your sound from your iPod, because this is obviously before iPhone, uh, into your car stereo. And a lot of car stereos at that point did not have the aux in jack. Yeah. But they all had FM radio. So you'd plug this little uh, FM transmitter into your iPod and it would transmit it over FM frequency. Uh, they, they worked, but the sound quality was not great. And I, I can't tell you how many they sent us. I mean, it was like 20 of them, something like that. <laughs> it was a lot of them. And so Chad and I decided instead of just giving them all away, because back in the day, we did all kinds of contests, and giveaways and stuff on the MyMac podcast. I mean, a lot. Um, Rich Lefko, for instance, was a contest winner. And that's how I met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I, and we would actually call people on the phone to tell them that they were a winner. Yeah, was, I remember you doing that. That it, was always fun. Yeah, it was fun. 
And you'd get the most interesting people. You really would. We'd we'd ask them, you know, how'd you get into computers and uh, what do you use it for? And it was it was just amazing. And was we had all these FM transmitters. So I reached out to a few other podcasters to see if they wanted to do this contest with us. And we reached out to Don and Drew. Uh, the MyMac guys, there was a couple other ones. I don't remember the other ones at this point. Those are the only two that I really remember, but there was a good four or five other shows that we did this with. And, uh, you know, my idea was maybe we can get some listeners from these other shows to listen to our show and vice versa. Some of the people that will listen to our show. In fact, I promoted the MyMac guys. I kind of gave them grief at first. Like, mm-hmm. come on guys. I, our show was launched way before yours, and yeah. it's not a coincidence that you called your guys' show the MyMac guys. I mean, it was kind of obvious that they were roughing off our name. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fine. Um, it wasn't fine with me when I first found it, but I got <laughs> over it. I was like, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. Life's too short. Um, but they were they were good guys, and uh, we had a promotion on their show, which... I don't know if you heard that promotion at the time or maybe I did. I don't remember doing that, but mm-hmm. maybe I did. But, um, I, I thought either way I remembered it was that, um, when they stopped, um, I, I seem to recall that when they, when they suddenly stopped, uh, I've just been to their website. Actually, they, they stopped at show 31 March, 2006. Yeah. Um, maybe I did, maybe I did get it from that. Cause, cause I'm sure I was, Involved with my Mac by two thousand six, so I didn't yeah. Know. Well, they had it. They did have a. They did. They, they did stop in November, um, and the November the year before, and then came back in the in the new year. So maybe it was then that I did it. But um, I seem to remember wondering whether they changed their name, and um, it was just after iTunes started offering podcasting. Yes, uh, and I do seem to remember searching for my Mac or variations of my Mac in iTunes and then finding your show and I'm thinking, oh, maybe, maybe they've changed the name and then finding it was different, but listening to it anyway, I'm sure I remember that, but maybe I don't because the human mind is a, a fragile and complicated beast. We were very inclusive on that show. I E it wasn't just Chad and I doing that show. We had segments from other my Macers. Chris Seabolt did uh not Mac news. Yeah. Um, Guy Searles did Dashboard Minute. Well, that's when you started encouraging people to send contributions, and that's how I got. I did, and that's exactly that's that's where I was leaning towards. That it was, uh, we had someone from Australia, I think, or Germany, and we call them our German correspondent. (laughs) And then you sent something in. You went to an Apple event, yeah, and they were going to show, or you're going to get hands on the one of the first Intel Macs. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you you had sent in, and it was a uh, it was a longer piece. I remember that it was like ten minutes or so. And yeah, we played I, I recorded. It. In fact, I I went around and recorded several things with several different people at the yeah. show, and, and then yeah. And we played it on an episode, and that's kind of where you started with the the whole podcasting thing. Mm. And that was probably two thousand and seven. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was two thousand and seven, because that's when the Intel Max were starting to hit. And so you've been podcasting for a decade now, David. Can't believe it. That's crazy sometimes when you stop and think about that. Uh, we don't do contests here on the show. We've never really even discussed it. 
I don't know if I want to get go down that. This I don't know if this show really lends itself well to giveaways. But I know they're extremely popular. I mean, yeah. I remember back in the MyMac days, I would have hundreds and hundreds of uh, submissions to win. You know, everyone, everyone likes free stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it it is kind of a pain in the ass to run a giveaway on a show. You know, what's what's the basis for the giveaway? Is it just to give stuff away? Yeah. Um. There, there's got to be a reason for it, and it has to fit in with the format. And I don't know if this format, how we do this show, even though altogether it's not all that different than what Chad and I were doing back in 2004 and five, um, would lend itself to doing it. I don't know. Maybe it would. I don't know. Maybe we need to cogitate on it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and see. You're right. It has to be done for a reason. There's no point just doing it for the sake of it. I mean, obviously, it's promotion for the people who donate, donate the prizes. Um, no, I get their reasons for doing it. Yeah, but it's whether it it's whether it benefits us right. to make it make it worth the effort. Because yeah, I mean it's you know it's very much a first world problem. But it is it is a um, you're right. It is it is quite a logistical effort to try and run that. The the flip side of that is I love giving stuff away. Yeah, I mean I, we were giving tons of stuff away at the uh, MyMac quiz at MacStock this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to give stuff away that you didn't have to buy to give away. I'm giving other people stuff away. That's my favorite. Yep. Yep. Um, Wiki trolling this week, something a little different. And I, I kind of like trying to focus it on tech stuff, but when you're just hitting random articles, you have no idea if you're going to find a tech related one. Yeah. I wish there was a way I could drill down where it would be random in a certain category. Yeah, I don't know whether um, um, Wikipedia must have APIs. There must be ways of doing that. Yeah, so. if anybody out there knows, let, let me and David know, because it would greatly benefit our wiki trolling. But then again, here here's the topic this week. It's uh, wiki trolling shopping mall. So why is this? Why did I stop on this one hitting the random button? Because I kind of found it interesting. Um, a shopping mall is a modern, chiefly North American term for a form of shopping precinct or shopping center in which one or more buildings form a complex of shops representing merchandise and with interconnecting walkways that enable customers to walk from unit to unit. That is a really long sentence. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> it's a big building full of stores. Yep. Uh, a shopping arcade is a specific type of shopping precinct precinct, uh, which is usually distinguished in English for mall shopping by the fact that connecting walkways, so it's the same thing. Well, yeah, shopping arcades, we have more of these in Britain because they were originally a, a British, an English concept. Shopping arcade is like a street that's enclosed with a glass roof or something and it has shops in it. Um, but the, uh, the, the point is the whole building or complex is not owned by a single operator. It's just kind of a, it's like a covered shopping street, really. And, and it's the the convenience in the early days of shopping arcades and stuff were evident. Not everybody had cars, um, but here's a central area where you can hit multiple stores all at the same time in one day. Yeah, that's a great concept. Now, I, to me, when I think of shopping mall, I think of the '80s when 
shopping malls were kind of, you know, that was the thing. That's where teenagers would hang out on the weekends, especially here in Michigan where it was cold half the year and you don't want to go outside and do something. So you go hang out at the mall, mm-hmm. but the mall experience, the way people of our generation thinks about it is very different than the way it began. And it's very different than the way it is now. And it's also one of those things that as a whole is kind of a, a, a dying breed. Um, y- if you do a search on YouTube for abandoned shopping mall, you will be amazed at how many you're going to find where people take cameras and they go into these malls that have been closed for 10 years, but still sitting there and they just kind of, you know, a modern archeologist type of walking through this mall showing the different stores. Yep. It's creepy and it's a little sad, but it's also fascinating to watch. I love watching those. I don't know why. Yeah. Did you know that the, um, the mall that you, you remember in, in the blues brothers, they, they drove a car through a mall. They had a car chase through a mall. Yep. Um, and that was a mall that had recently closed. <laughs> so that's how they were able to do it. Um, and they kind of enable parts of it for the filming. Uh, and I think it's still there. I wouldn't be a bit surprised when I was in Chicago all the time. I went to various different malls. If I had to do some Christmas shopping or something, um, the high end malls are still high end malls and, uh, Brookfield, for instance, Brookfield. I don't think that's West, right. West, West, is it Westfield? I don't know. It's one of the bigger malls there, but it's an outdoor mall. Uh, so it's more akin to really an arcade than it is to the shopping mall that North America yeah. Uh, enjoys but it was kind of neat to be back into a mall where look there's teenagers hanging out there's an apple store right there there's a you know place to get your ears pierced yeah but it was kind of weird interestingly enough when when i started visiting florida in the late very late 70s um we used to go to the palm beach mall and palm beach mall was one of the very first malls in the united states um, and so it really, it really encompassed the original kind of late seventies mall concept. Um, and so it's very strong memories for me. Um, and I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia page for it now. I, I mean, I remember all of this like it was yesterday and, uh, what happened? Yeah. I opened in 67. So it'd been open for 10 years when, when I first started going there. Um, what happened to that is that eventually it closed down. Uh, it became very, very, in the last, last half of its life, it became very, very low rent. Yeah, and um, started to have some crime problems and that sort of thing. Uh, and eventually they knocked it down and closed it. Well, they closed it first and knocked it down because otherwise it wouldn't have worked. Um, and they've rebuilt on the same site an outlet mall, an open-air outlet mall, which <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever been to one of those, they're all very, very similar. Um, and uh, that's what's there now. So I, <laughs> I still go down to where the Palm Beach Mall used to be, and I still shop there when I go over there, but now it's... Uh, a- Uh-oh. Looks like we lost David. Thanks, Wire. So I'll hang up on David on Wire and then see if I can bring him back in. This is obviously a growing concern that two weeks in a row now we've had problems. We didn't have problems the week before. Yeah, he's not there. Um, honestly though, I think that one might've been on his end. I think something crashed on his end, 
because he's not there. So I remember the first mall I went to is called Lakeview Square Mall here in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan. That mall is still open, although for how much longer, I don't know. Um, the main stores have all... There you go. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, like I was saying, the first mall I went to was Lakeview Square Mall here in Battle Creek. Mm-hmm. And it's still open, but it's precarious at this point. Now, it's still the main shopping district, that area in our town. But I think more people are probably going to Target and Walmart and the open air type of um, shopping centers than the actual mall. And, you know, Macy's closed a year ago. That was one of the anchor stores. It was Hudson's back in the day, but um, Sears is still there, but that's going to eventually close because it's Sears and they're owned by Kmart and they're on the way out. JC Penney's is closing. So the three anchor stores in that mall are going bye-bye. And Julie and I used to go walking in that mall in the morning before it opened for exercise. It was just the thing we did. And we were always amazed at how many vacant storefronts were in there. Yeah. And, you know, we both agreed that we would be the logical people to take over the mall and make it <laughs> viable again. Because they're just not doing things that's going to draw people in. It's not going to be the sale anymore because I, the sale doesn't mean anything. I just go to Amazon.com and buy it there. And it's probably still cheaper than what I'm going to find in retail on sale. Um, but more community events. These are these are places that if you can get the tenants and you can give people a reason to come to a mall, I think it's still a very viable shopping experience or even a community experience, David. It's It's always got great parking. It's a mall. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're uh, they're usually pretty large inside, and if you have some empty storefronts, clean them up, and then do stuff like community garage sales, uh, community bake sales. Uh, let the Cub Scouts or whatever have their meetings there, to various clubs. Give give it a reason to come into the mall, not just to buy something, because if people are coming into your mall for other whatevers, it gives the retailers in that mall more eyeballs looking at their storefront. Yeah, unfortunately, the people who operate malls don't want to do that sort of thing very often. Nope. They see that kind of unmanaged use of the space as messy and uh, unattractive. Uh, a, a lot of malls, particularly nowadays, are, are very... They're trying to style themselves as up up marketplaces, so it's all very controlled. Um, a lot of effort is spent on the look of the place and the surroundings and that sort of thing. And frankly, they can be a little bit snobby about who's in there sometimes. And so encouraging the community to come in to use it, which I think is a great idea. Um, I could see mall owners uh, um, and mall operators to be resistant to that. And Absolutely. Part of the problem with that is that a lot of these these malls and and uh, there's been so much um, reduction of owners of malls and it's now two or three very big property groups who own them all over the world. Yep. And they they just do the same model. Uh, and the, and I think the problem with that is when you only have three or four small companies that have a portfolio of malls everywhere. Oh, one closes, they go. Oh well, you know what are you going to do? Um, I'm not sure they 
they really are innovative enough to actually. Oh, they're not. obviously not. That's why yeah. it, the, this is a continuing problem. That's why you find so many dead malls uh, on YouTube. Um, they don't seem to understand <clears throat> what the problem is or how to fix it. And yeah. the snobby mall is not a viable business anymore. No. No. But what do we In know? Fact, you read this article on Wikipedia, and it talks about the um, retail apocalypse yeah. <laughs> of of, uh, of 2015, um, where basically a lot of these big, you know, um, as you call them, the anchor stores have closed locations, um, and that has affected a lot of these places. I mean, there's probably is a, an element. There's too many of them here in the UK. Funnily enough, the planning regulations have changed, and they're very hard to build now. So we had a big um, building boom of them in the 80s and 90s but since then there's been relatively few developed um, and everyone's concentrated on refurbishing town centres now rather than building malls out town shopping malls so um, there's not a lot we, we still have what we call retail parks you would call um, probably well, a strip it's, mall uh, yeah it's, it, a retail park is bigger than a strip mall because it has bigger stores on it you know those kind of um, those strip malls where they have uh, do-it-yourself stores like Lowe's and people sure. like that. You know those big um, strip malls. Then, then that's what a retail park is here, and and we we get a lot of those, but we don't get many uh, pro- what what you and I would call a mall anymore. And I think that's probably going to be a continuing trend, um, partly because of Amazon. Yeah, it, you know, it's just too convenient, but. I still think that people like to physically go in and touch things before they buy, especially clothes and shoes. And um, But where you go currently in a mall isn't attractive to a lot of people. you got to park far away. Um, there's still this perception, I think, in a lot of people's mind, i got to go brave the crowds at the mall just to go buy a pair of shoes. There are no crowds. You're not braving anything. Um and they're and they're just kind of unused spaces now that I think they're still very viable. Um they just gotta figure it out and I don't think they have. And beyond the community type of aspects, there's other usages for that space. And who cares if it's gonna make it a little messy? You you have janitors to pick stuff up. You have cleaning yeah. crews. Um, and if you make it a condition of rental of the space for a day, then they have to put a $200 deposit to put it in the same shape it was when you got there. And if not, you don't get your 200 bucks back, i.e. pick up after yourself. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's ample opportunities for malls to be very successful nowadays. And I think social media has a big role to play in it. If you can get people excited about your mall through social media because you're having all these different events, you're going to get people to come to the mall. There was a trick or treat at our mall a couple of years ago that we went to, uh, the different storefronts, you'd walk up to them and you know, they'd give your kids candy for Halloween. It was successful in that it drew a huge crowd. It was totally unmanageable because the mall people, they didn't organize anything. It was a free for all. Yeah. So there was just tons of people cutting in front of you in line, and there was nobody to keep order. And 
you can have the cool concept like a trunk or treat is what that's called, but it's in a mall. But unless you actually manage it correctly, it's going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And that's what happened in this situation. So I think that it's sad because I know how much fun I had in malls. I'm sure you had just as much fun in the, in the day. Yeah. Um, when I first started going to malls, there were no movie theaters in the mall. They all have movie theaters now, but back in the day, it was video arcade games and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a lot of toy stores that you can buy stuff at. It was, it was a fun atmosphere. There was always a lot of people there and it wasn't just about the shopping. It was the place to hang out. I don't know if they can create that again, but I do think that they can create something to bring people into the mall. If you make it a family friendly environment, well, that's more community focused. I think that would go a long way to revitalizing a lot of these properties. Yeah, I think it would, but people have got to act. Yep. Or I get to enjoy more more, more uh, empty mall videos on YouTube. <laughs> so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Of course, we'd love to get feedback from you. It is the show at techfanpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at techfanpodcast. And we are on the, capital T, the Facebook. Uh, David, anything going on you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think nope. it's um, usual busy week for me. And uh, just have to wait and see what happens with that phone. Been playing with the drone at all? I've not had any time. No? So um, I need to have a... We were away last weekend. We we were down in London. So I need to have a weekend at home when I'm not too busy to do that. Yeah, I want to hear more about it. I want to see some yep. cool footage. Will do. <laughs> so we'll see everybody in a week. Bye. <laughs>